0: Jaw-dropping, jealousy-inducing stories about amazing gear finds are as much a part of guitar lore as the supposedly supernatural properties of the instruments, amps, and pedals used by our heroes. We've all heard tales of a sweet old widow discovering her late husband's fifty-seven gold top under the spare room bed and insisting a lucky neighbor take it for a fraction of its market value. Or a jilted lover kicking an entire rig to the curb with a cardboard placard on top reading free in big bold letters. Or maybe a reluctant garage sale trip turning up guitar gear gold wedged between a box of dusty old 8-track tapes and a finicky typewriter. The stories often seem way too good to be true, especially since reference books, eBay, and a zillion other resources make it so easy for next of kin to ascertain the gear's true value and get their just rewards, or revenge. <laughs> but as much as we'd prefer to believe the stories are urban legends, deep down we know they're true. They just never happen to us. The worst part is when you personally know someone who's experienced one of these once-in-a-lifetime gear scores. You're torn between being happy for them, jealous or even covertly pissed about their good luck, and kicking yourself or not being more vigilant or eagle-eyed in your own search for tone treasure. How come I always end up paying through the nose for crap that's nowhere near as cool as the stuff Karen finds? Man, Eric is such a schemer. Dude always kisses ass and sweet talks people to weasel him out of whatever he wants. Dave only finds this stuff because he can't keep a freaking job and has way too much time on his hands. Yes, the justifications we tell ourselves can get ugly. So be forewarned. You're about to feel all of those emotions and more as we talk to fellow gear junkies about their remarkable gear finds. On the bright side, chances are you'll also find yourself at least as captivated by the people and circumstances in these sometimes bizarre often touching accounts. Because there's a lot more to these stories than luck. In fact, it's not entirely crazy to argue that it's the encounters themselves that are priceless. The acquired gear is just tangible evidence of the humanity we experience when we're adventurous and open ourselves to the possibilities life places before us. I'm Sean Hammond and you're listening to Conversations in the Key of Life the premier guitar podcast that talks to you about your musical journeys. Our first insane gear find story is from Brennan McNally of Mission Viejo, California, who came across a mysteriously titled ad while scouring Craigslist back in 2013. Brennan's story begins just after he'd sold his 1976 Fender P-Bass, a sale that seemed kind of unusual for a gear hound, so I had to ask, Why?
1: It was a great bass. I played a few gigs with it. I loved it, but you know how gear acquisition syndrome goes. And I had just kind of gotten tired of it. Um, And I was always, basically with me and Craigslist, I'm always looking to move up. I like to flip stuff. I like to buy and sell trade. And I don't know, I just got tired of the bass, and I felt like there would be something better out there for me. Uh, And it was in mint condition, too. And I got a deal on it, but... I knew that if I sat on it forever, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money back then. So I knew, oh, I'll never really be able to buy something. I need to sell something. And that was the one thing I had where I looked at it and I was like, all right, it's it's time for this thing to go.
0: Knew you could get a few bucks out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I made like $600 selling it. Yeah, I bought it for 1200 and sold it for 18
0: I think. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah. So as soon as I sold it, I had this cash in my hand and I knew if I put it in the bank, I would pay rent with it and do all these nice responsible things. (laughs) So I just immediately like same day, this all happened in the same day went on Craigslist and you know, I always have ideas for what I want, but this time I was kind of just a blank slate and was kind of in the mood to buy something the same day, which ended up happening. Uh, And I found an ad that didn't have any pictures, and it was only one sentence, and <laughs> which generally is not very reliable. It's generally pretty sketchy, especially in LA. But what did it say? It said, "I remember the title said 1959 Gibson base," which ended up being incorrect. It was 58 actually, but he bought it in 59, and it so it said 1959 Gibson base. That's all it said.
0: No pictures. No pictures,
1: and then the description just said. Good condition. (laughs) That was it. And there was a phone number, and I called it. And I could tell the guy was pretty old by his voice. And he only lived like 20 minutes away from me in LA, which you know, 20 minutes away is actually pretty close. (laughs) And so I called him and said, "Hey, I'm interested in your bay." He didn't have any ask. He didn't have an asking price on it either. And I just said, "Could you tell me a little bit more about it? Do you know, the model, blah, blah blah." And he didn't know the model. He could have just looked inside the f hole and read the label, but he was like, "Oh, I don't know. I bought it when I was a kid. Um, it's in really good condition. Uh, I just he's, he's like, I just found it. I put it away in, you know, the attic or the closet." And I just found it.
0: are like, no way. I was like, can I come over
1: and see it? He's like, oh, absolutely, sure. So I just rushed over there. You know, this guy, this is a person who clearly does not own an iPhone and couldn't send me pictures or anything. I was like, oh, can I just come over? And I noticed that he had posted the ad that day, too. So I was like, oh, man, I'm probably the first person to respond to this. I better rush over. So I rushed over. And... I forgot to bring the money with me just in case I wanted to buy it. But I get there, it's a very nice old man, pretty small, like normal house. And there's a couple guitar cases uh, there. And I'm like, Oh, are you selling something else? Before he even shows me the bass. And he was like, Oh, yeah, I found this other one. And he opens it, and it's a 1960 Jazzmaster in like dead mint condition. No way. And I was like, Oh, man, like, what are you selling this one for? And he says, well, I talked to my friend about this one, and he said I should try to get five thousand for it. And in my mind, I'm like, that's also a great deal, but I
0: don't have five thousand dollars. So I played it a little bit and was like, wow, this is really cool. So you're prepared for the price to be pretty high on the base. Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, he's talked to people.
1: He probably took it to you know norms or true tone or something. And but no. So he opens the base, and I see you know lift and case. So I'm like, oh man, this is. This is real. I think this might be real. It opens it. It's in almost dead mint condition. Uh, the only difference was the tuners had been swapped out, like two years later for the regular standard full size one. Um, the fifty eight fifty nine model has banjo tuners on it, which are pretty weird. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, it was like dead mint. And he pulls it out, and I just kind of I have to struggle not to just giggle or anything like keep a poker face and be like oh, okay it looks pretty good like you know pretend, pretend to look for for scratches yeah, i don't know about this uh, i don't know it smells pretty old to me <laughs> And so he didn't have an amplifier and so i brought the only really portable thing i had at the time was a, a silver tone twin 12 which is not the best way to try out a bass but it, you know so i brought that and set it up and i start playing it and it has the original flat welds on it.
0: Like, no way. Yeah.
1: And he said, he said, oh, I, I haven't pulled it out since probably 1962. Oh, geez. Um, and I was like, wow, it's crazy. And so I'm just asking him, like, so tell me about it. Why are you selling it? Like <laughs> All these questions. And he says, well, I'm from Pittsburgh originally, and I played it in a doo band. I bought it in 1959, and I played it in a doo band until – 1961, and then I stopped playing music and I put it back in the case and I forgot about it until right now.
0: Uh, what a shame.
1: I know, what a shame. And he showed me pictures of him in the band playing it and he, even, he didn't have the 7-inch, but he had found on YouTube a rip of a 7-inch of him playing it. So it was crazy for me to hear this old record with the actual
0: bass, you know, do you remember the name of the band or anything? Yeah. I
1: think they were called chariots or something. Yeah. Huh. Nice. So I remember the best thing was I kept playing it, just trying it out and trying to keep a poker face, not,
0: <laughs> not look too excited. Yeah. Cause I was like,
1: I had, you know, I'd had a few vintage things before, but not a 58 Gibson in mint condition. Um, and the whole time I was playing it, a couple times he said to me, he kind of like laughed and said, I don't know why you would want an old one when you could just buy a new one. <laughs> like He kept saying that, and I was like, oh, my God, he doesn't
0: get it. And you, say, you said the model was a, an EB-3? EB-2. EB-2.
1: The big hollow body one. It's basically an actual 335 body that they just put a single, single coil in. They switched to humbucker. The year later, but I knew it was, I had done a little bit of research on it, and I knew it was a 58 because it had a single coil and it didn't have the baritone switch. So I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this is the first year. <laughs> when he said fifth when I read the ad and it said 59 base, I was like, okay, this is probably an E B2. Um, or if it's later 59, it could be the EB0, like solid body one. So I knew it was one of those two, and I got there and saw it. I was like, okay, it's an EB2. And then I noticed no baritone switch, giant single coil pickup, 1958 bottle. And so I finally asked him about price, and he just kind of said, he's like, well, I looked at what new ones cost, which Gibson's never reissued it, so I have no idea what he was looking at. Um, Maybe like the Epiphone Rivoli, like Korean one or something. But he he just said, like, what would you feel comfortable paying for it? And I said, well, I have... $1,600. I was like, I would love to pay that. And he was kind of like, wow, okay. Which means he probably would have said yes to like a thousand or something ridiculous. But I was like, I have $1,600. I don't have it with me, but I can go get it right now. And he was like, wow, okay, deal. And I remember thinking, why didn't I bring the money with me? Someone else is going to see this ad and rush over. And I was like, and offer him more. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to go get the money. I'll be back in under an hour please don't sell it to anyone. He's like, no, 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 I'm not going to sell. And I don't think I've ever driven faster in my life.
0: <laughs>
1: I remember an actual thought I had was, even with a $400 speeding ticket, I'll still make a deal. I wasn't thinking about insurance rates you know, skyrocketing, but I was like, oh, I, can, I can afford a ticket right now.
0: Do you know how much these would tend to go for?
1: So the interesting thing is there isn't a huge market for EB2s. You know, as you can imagine, people want P bases, and they're going to spend that kind of money. But and they'll, there's also only. I contacted Gibson afterwards, and they found their shipping ledger and said that they shipped ninety EB twos in 1958. So it's more of a collector's thing. Um, but I found there's a store called Freded Americana.
0: Oh yeah. Here, yeah, yeah, and
1: they had one for sale, 58, um, but with the original tuners. Oh, um, well, I ended up tracking down original tuners on eBay, so it ended up becoming original. They were selling theirs for like 11000 or $12,000. Oh, man.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so you got a good deal. I got a pretty good deal. <laughs> 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 I got
1: a pretty great deal.
0: Next up, we've got Griff Torres from Berkeley, California. Griff's wild gear chase began kind of by accident. It was 1975 and he'd just bought a guitar repair book and as he was flipping through it, he came across a hard to find Fender and it kind of set in motion a chain of events in which he'd eventually track down that guitar, surrender it in one of those fits of foolishness we always seem to succumb to as guitarists and then reunite with
2: it again in a way he never could have foreseen when he first flipped through those pages. By 1975, I had a beat-up old jazz master that wouldn't stay in tune and didn't know what to do with it, and I bought a book called the electric guitar its history and construction in hope to find out more about that anyway the book did have a gallery of famous electric guitar types in it you know the les paul the stratocaster the the telecaster everything else and amongst them was a fender electric 12 the solid body hockey stick and i looked at that and went oh that's the guitar for me i would love to have one of those i would sound different from all my friends it would you know, nobody's playing 12-strings anymore, and it would be really great. This was 1975, in the disco era, after all. Then I started asking around at all the local music stores and everywhere else. There was no internet then, um, so I couldn't just go on eBay or something. Uh, I went to different music stores and where they sold new and used guitars, and I asked them, have you ever, do you have a Fender Electric 12-string? Have you seen one? And nobody had seen one. Nobody knew what one was. People would ask me, oh, you mean the Coronado? You mean an acoustic 12-string? And they just never had even heard of it. So I just put that in the back of my mind and decided that, that, you know, it wasn't happening. I'll I'll just keep my eye out. I didn't have any money anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So about a year and a half later, I had a job, saved my money. I was going to buy myself a record player. This was 1976 now record players were how you listen to music. <laughs> I went downtown San Francisco to buy myself a record player. There was a store that sold used stereos and uh, I saw a pretty good one that was would have cost me most of my money and I decided, well, that's most of my money. I'm going to take a walk around the block and think about this. Took a left turn up a little street where there were lots of pawn shops and there was this pawn shop right on the corner that had guitars all over the windows. So I went into the pawn shop. And as soon as I opened the door, a little bell rang. A man came up to the counter and said, can I help you? And <laughs> I said, well, I just wanted to look at your guitars. And he sort of gave me a look and said, well, was there a particular guitar you were looking for?
0: So he wasn't a super friendly guy. It was kind of like used to people coming in and banging around on his guitars and then just leaving.
2: Right, exactly. that's probably what I would have done, maybe nicely. But anyway, I. I said, no, I just want to look at your guitars. And he said, well, really, is there a particular guitar you were looking for? I thought, okay, do you have a Fender Electric 12-string? Nobody else had answered that question, you know, positively. But he just looked at me and said, yes, I have one of those. And he took me around the corner in the store, and there hanging on the wall was my Fender Electric 12-string. And I asked him, how much is it? He said, oh, $150. And that was a lot less than the record player I was planning to buy. So I bought it
0: what color was it
2: it's it's a sunburst three color sunburst nice it's a nice standard one and uh i walked out of the store with a electric 12-string fender guitar that uh gosh he even gave me a case but it was a bass case that didn't fit it very well
0: now if i remember correctly from your the when you first reached out to us and in your email yeah uh, it wasn't quite what you expected when you got it home right
2: right yeah i got home and noticed that the intonation screws for the the saddles on the bridge all 12 of them were bent they were bent in i don't know how that happens maybe just from sitting around in string pressure i don't know but anyway it was very hard to intonate because of the bent screws i got it intonated and the truss rod was out of adjustment it wasn't horribly bowed but it was bowed to the extent that it, the action was very stiff And it just wasn't fun to play. It didn't sound anything like I expected it to. It was sort of a harsh sound and difficult to play up the neck. And I I messed around with it for a couple of weeks. And then a roommate of mine, who had just been given a brand new Fender Stratocaster but didn't like it because she was a Gibson girl, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, offered to trade that Stratocaster for the 12-string because she was in a band and thought the 12-string would make a great guitar to play slide on. Turned out it was. Uh, I took the Stratocaster in trade. So she had a, a brand new 76 Strat, is that? Brand new 76 Stratocaster. Okay. It was, you know, the three bolt neck and the, you know, it was a walnut finish. It had three bolt neck and a bullet truss rod. Very nice looking one. And it, it ended up playing and sounding really good, actually. It had a maple fingerboard. Um, I took it to a guy who shielded all the electronics nicely so it didn't hum much. And, it it played beautifully, actually. It was a nice Stratocaster, and I had that for about three years. It wasn't my only guitar. Uh, in the meantime, my uh, roommate played Slide in her band with it, and then her band broke up, and we weren't roommates anymore, and I, I didn't see much of her. Uh, three years later, I ran into her in a local bar, and she was in between bands and in between jobs and wanted to sell the 12-string to help make rented things. Offered, offered to sell it to me. So, I asked her, "Well, how much?" And she said, "Well, how much did you pay for it?" And I told her it was 150 bucks. She said, "I'll take it." <laughs> so I didn't have the money, but I sold the Stratocaster. I put an ad on a bulletin board, and within a day, somebody came and bought it for 200 dollars.
0: Okay, so what had happened in the interim there? Like you went from not liking the electric twelve and wanting, thinking the Strat was a better option and here you are selling the strat to get it back what had happened
2: well the strat the strat wasn't my only guitar in the meantime i had acquired a gibson melody maker and a rickenbacker 325 and the strat was just one of three guitars that i had at the time
0: but you you had kind of it sounds like you had kind of gone back to the original
2: mentality
0: like that guitar would sound different from anything else i've got
2: yeah well by that time i knew more about how to set up a guitar it was three years later, and, and I'd been fooling with a couple other guitars and things. Cool. Anyway, I got the 12-string back and uh, dealt with the intonation bridge screws. Just went down to the local hardware store and found 12 screws, long, hardened ones that uh, did the job. Then uh, I had a right-angle Phillips screwdriver that fit right into the truss rod thing. Previously, I, I didn't know how to anything about a truss rod. The people who helped me set the thing up originally, uh, told me they didn't want to mess with the truss rod because they were afraid it might snap or something, and then I'd be up a creek. So I just sort of gingerly put the, the Phillips screwdriver blade into the truss rod nut and found out it was quite loose, and uh, you know, a turn or so, and the neck straightened right up. It was easy. Nice. So I had a guitar that was, like, all of a sudden easy to play, and I've been playing it ever since.
0: Yeah, and you emailed me a picture of it, too. It's a really nice-looking guitar. Yeah, it still looks as good as that, too. (laughs) So do you still keep in touch with your friend, your old roommate, and ever reminisce about the guitar?
2: No, I... I've lost touch with her. I, I tried looking her up on the web and I found old references to her old band, but nothing on her currently. Well,
0: maybe she'll hear this PG podcast. What's her name? Maybe we should reach out to her.
2: <laughs> well, her name is Debbie Castle, spelled with a K, and I, she might have moved back to Chicago where she was from. I don't know.
0: All right, Debbie, if you're listening, yeah, get in touch. We'll put you guys back in touch and you can reminisce and, and all yes. that. Yes. Griff, thanks so much for sharing your story with us.
2: Love it. Thank you very much. It was nice talking to you, really. Great pleasure.
0: And then there's Stephen Burns from Atlanta, Georgia, who stumbled across an unreal deal that involved a rather strange rendezvous point and a solemn promise that would be put to the test much sooner than Steven
3: imagined. So I was uh, an avid Craigslist person for a a really long time, and and I was always looking on Craigslist for new gear. Um, And when I'd just gotten a job when I was 17, I had money to burn. And um, so I, I perused Craigslist, Every day, uh, at least twice a day, and I, I came upon this ad. It was a Gibson SG, $450 was the, the title of it. Not a lot of description in the ad. It was a very grainy picture, but from what I could see, it looked like a legitimate Gibson. And for $450, I thought any Gibson SG would be, that would be a good price for any Gibson SG. So I called the number on there, and it sounded like an older guy who who told me I was the first guy to call, and um, if I wanted to come up, he was about 45 minutes north of the city, and uh, I'd have to drive up there and and meet him at the Waffle House parking lot, <laughs> right off the exit. <laughs> why Waffle House? Yeah, very specific instructions. Did you ever
0: find out why it was Waffle House? Like I don't know. Is it after dinner yeah. or what?
3: No, it was uh, it was in the middle of the day. It was an <laughs> afternoon. I think that was just kind of the one of the main landmarks out off of his exit. Okay. But yeah, so he we met up in the Waffle House parking lot, and I brought a little. Uh, one tiny little Marshall practice amps to make sure all the electronics worked and everything. And he uh, he pulled out the guitar, and I saw that it was definitely a vintage SG. And he he told me it was a '74 SG standard. He'd bought it brand new, and had played it, you know, in bars and at home. And it was you know it was pretty pretty dinged up, and the case was kind of beaten up, but. Uh, You know, he let me uh, let me plug it in and played it a few times and everything worked perfectly. And, you know, right as I was kind of ready to give him the money, he was like, well, how about you uh, how about you play a few licks for me? How about you play a few uh, Freddie King kind of licks? (laughs) And uh, and I played through some some blues riffs that I knew and. He was like, "Yeah, I just want to make sure, make sure that you're uh, you're not just gonna collect it or or flip it, and I want to make sure that you're gonna be playing it and you're gonna actually give it some some love." And uh, and I was like, you know, I I will. I'll love this guitar. I promise you. i i in the short time that I played it, I'd already kind of fallen in love with it. And uh, I was like, I I'm never gonna sell this thing. Trust me. And, uh, so I ended up giving him $500 for it because there was a small part of me that felt like I was still, still kind of ripping him off. Like maybe he didn't realize what he could get for it. Yeah. Cause, this,
0: Cause this was only like six, seven
3: years ago. Yeah. Right? It was six or years. seven years ago. and And the thing is, is that, well, he told me on the phone that, you know, I was the first caller, but he'd gotten emails and they were offering him. You know, fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred dollars for it, and he said, number one, he didn't like it that they didn't call; they just emailed. <laughs>
0: did the ad specify only call <laughs> well, it, or something? It
3: didn't, but I think he well, he put his phone number up there, and I I think he just if someone really wanted it, then they would call. It wouldn't they wouldn't wait for an email to go through. I I, I don't know. He thought huh. the sen- sense of urgency maybe that I had for it was. More uh, palpable in a, in a phone call. I, I'm not sure, but he said, number one, he didn't like it because it was in an email, and number two, <laughs> he didn't like the offer because he only asked for four hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> Why would he want any more? <laughs> oh
0: man, did he seem like he needed the money, or like he didn't?
3: He didn't. I mean, you know, he seemed like a, a very average retired guy who was just you know living out his last you know decades and relaxation. He was very, very calm, very, you know, very present, very, I, I don't know. He seemed to, like a wise old guy. Definitely he was, very particular. Yeah, would <laughs>
0: offer me more money than I asked for. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so very particular to say the least. And, uh, he said he was happy that it was going to a, a young bluesman, which I I really wouldn't even have considered myself a young bluesman at that at that age. He but he saw it in me, I guess. So I you know I strapped it up in in my front seat. I gave it a seatbelt. It came in the original case as well, which is awesome. Sweet. But I I strapped it in my front seat to make sure nothing happened to it. And uh, yeah, about fifteen minutes later. Uh, I got a phone call and they said you know he he'd given my phone number out to I guess the people who had emailed him or someone who had called him later and uh the guy said that if I drove it to his house right then he'd he'd give me $1,500 for it and uh you know I had to politely deny his offer and uh and yeah I, I always thought that it, that it was the the old guy who was he was testing me he'd got someone someone at the waffle house to call me up <laughs> This guitar definitely has a special place in my in my heart more than in any other guitar just because of how I got it and kind of the promise that I made to to this guy to to never sell it I, I feel really bounce to that promise really
0: yeah that's that's really cool that you are keeping your word and have you actually thought in the future thought ahead to the future like all right what am i gonna do yeah when when i'm done playing guitar you know whenever that is you know 50 60 down the road or whatever
3: yeah i you know i have in in you know kind of the romantic way you know i uh, i i love to uh To pass it along to another young player when that time comes i i don't see myself stopping playing guitar for like as you said 50 60 years whenever i'm physically unable to play yeah is when i'll stop i think i don't think i could uh survive long without without playing every day but uh and this thing it just it just sings you know it's one of the best guitars because the 70s sgs you know they they kind of vary in quality, especially the ones that I've played. They've I've had some some duds. Uh, yeah. And this thing is just so musical and and just you you feel it in, in your whole body when you play it. It's it's really a a fantastic instrument, and uh, so I, I would love to pass it on to somebody who's who's just as passionate about it and just as passionate about playing. I think that would be the game plan Uh, if it's my son or you know daughter or or anybody who who i see fit i guess totally
0: thanks so much for sharing your story with us thanks
3: for uh thanks for letting me share it
0: all right for our final insane gear find story we're gonna do something a little unusual We're going back to Brennan McNally from Orange County, California, because after telling us his initial 58 Gibson bass story, Brennan surprised us with a tale that's so cool, so much the stuff of a gear geek's dreams that we had to share it. Get ready to seethe with envy, my friends.
1: I have a friend whose dad Collects guitars, loves guitars, loves music, um, and.
0: And must be rich.
1: <laughs> clearly. And so I go over to his house and he has kind of like a little studio thing in the back um, that, you know, he just has friends over and they jam and hang out. And so I got to know his dad pretty well because I love guitars, he loves guitars. And my friend plays drums, so he doesn't understand almost any of the guitar stuff, but I go over and play with him and his dad sometimes. And his dad always has crazy gear. And we nerd out over it. And I get to play some of it. So I'm over there one night, and he has, you know, most of his stuff is in mint condition, and he doesn't let uh friends touch those things or just take them out of jam. So there's always kind of like a newer, you know, fender jazz bass or something, which is the one that's sitting out where it's like, hey, your friends can play this when they <laughs> which is very fair. But this time I come over and There's a very road-worn but beautiful P-Bass. And it's in Olympic white, but it's faded to yellow. And I love stuff that's really road-worn and and relic-y. And I'm like, oh, man, is this new? And he says, no, 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 I just pulled it out. But like, you can play this one. It's beat up. It's totally fine. You can do whatever you want to it. Was it like
0: like a Relic Custom Shop one or something? No, it's
1: a real 63.
0: Um, No way. But he was fine with that one.
1: That was the one where he was like, oh, yeah, you can play that. It's
0: so what made that different from the other vintage stuff? Everything
1: else, you have to understand, this guy's process is on
0: such a different level. Um, he has multiple other P bases in better condition, so that one's his beater. Absolutely, um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. I wish I could.
1: Man, I wish I could transport you to this room and you could. I'm talking like there's a '51. Telecaster on the wall, you know. And oh,
0: man, like an Esquire or something. Yeah,
1: and he's got, you know, probably a 59 burst and other stuff. But, um, so he's on that level. So I come in and there's this beat-up P-bass, and, but it's, you know, I mean, it's beat-up compared to his mint condition stuff. Um, And so he's like, oh, yeah, 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 you can play this one, it's a great bass, but, you know, you don't have to worry about putting Scratch on it or anything. I'm like, wow, awesome. And <laughs> I never played a pre P bass before and I just I instantly fall in love with it and so we're jamming all night and I'm playing it the whole night I never even switched to guitar usually we all move around I'm just like no I have to play this thing for as much as <laughs> and afterwards I told his dad I just kind of half jokingly said I'm gonna buy this from you someday and he was just like no way no I'm never gonna sell that and I just kept saying like, this is the best bass I've ever played. I'm going to buy it from you. And he's like, no, 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 never going to sell it. And so we keep talking and his dad mentions that he's going to go to Norman's rare guitars, uh, tomorrow, the next day. And I'd never been, and I know it's, you know, up there with Groon in terms of like the vintage place. And I, I'd never been, it's out in the Valley, which isn't super close to me. Um, and his dad's going there to buy a 57 Les Paul Special. Um, this dude What just,
0: does this guy do for a living? Uh, he's an artist manager. Take so, he, uh,
1: yeah, he, he makes pretty good money. And, you know, he buys, sells, and trades, and he has a 30-year relationship with Norm. So he's constantly doing stuff. And so he just casually drops, like, oh, well, I have to go to Norm's tomorrow to buy a 57 Les Paul Special. Why don't you come with me? Because I know if I go with... This guy, I'll see some pretty cool stuff. If I just walk in by myself, no one's gonna take me seriously. But if I walk in with this guy who has a relationship with Norm, maybe they'll let me play some of the cool stuff. Like in my mind, I'm like, I don't have money to buy anything. I just want to go see some cool stuff. Yeah. So I go there the next day and I'm just hanging out. Um, my friend's dad is checking out the Last Ball Special. Gives it to me and it's like, hey, you plug it in, tell me what you think about it. He never even plugged it in before he bought it. He was just like, hey, you mess around with it for a bit. Tell me if you think it's cool. And I was like, you know more about this than I do. And also, you don't want to plug it in before you buy it, okay? Um
0: How would it be? Jeez.
1: Yeah. I mean <laughs> yeah, this is what this guy, this is how he lives his life. But um, so I, I'm just looking around. I've never been there before. They have, you know, unspeakable treasures in every corner. Have you ever been there
0: before? No, I haven't.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's in this dumpy strip mall. It's the most unassuming thing. And then you walk in and – I mean it looks kind of dumpy on the inside. But it, just everywhere you look, it's the most priceless gear. And because I'm there with my friend's dad who knows Norm, Norm is there and he's showing me stuff that I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be able to see if I just was some dude off the street. And so there's a few different P-bases up on the wall – there's like a 66, um, some other stuff, and I'm plugging them in and playing them. And Jeff saw me playing the 66 one, and he just asked, Oh, what do you think about that? And I said, Man, it's just not as good as your 63P bass. Like nothing. It's like nothing's as good as that. And Jeff just kind of laughs. He's like, Yeah, I know nothing's special. And then he asked Norm, he says, Hey, do you have anything special in the back you can pull out for Brennan? And Norm says, Well, I have a 57p base in white, like matching headstock, something crazy rare. He's like, That's insane money. And then he says, I just got in an almost mint condition 63p base, which is also crazy expensive. And Jeff says, Just pull it out, let him play it.
0: Okay. And I'm like, Dude, I'm getting goosebumps just (laughs) as you tell this story. I
1: am too, thinking about it. Um, (laughs) And so in my mind, I'm just like, dude, I can't believe he's going to let me touch this thing. Like, even just looking at it, it's like the spinal tap moment. You know, don't even <laughs> look at it. No, don't, don't look at it. Um, and so Norm goes in the back and comes back like five minutes later with, you know, and pulls out this case and pulls out this basically mint condition. You know, there's like one or two tiny scratches on it. The neck looks dead mint. Um, and
0: what color did you say it was? Sunburst. Three. Times. Sunburst, okay.
1: yeah. Um, tortoiseshell pit guard like the classic one and he pulls it out and I'm just looking at it I'm like I can't believe this is real you know I've never seen something like this before it looks like one of the custom shop like new old stock ones that doesn't have any relic no way um, and so he pulls it out and I'm just like oh I can't believe it and he hands it to me and I'm just holding it and it's super lightweight too just like um, my friend's dad's one I just can't believe it and Norm's kind of telling me a little bit about it. And I'm just I like, can I go plug it in? And he says, oh, please do. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm holding this thing. <laughs> and I'm, I was
0: really nervous just, a little bit. Like,
1: oh. oh I was Better so, take
0: off my belts and my. I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: all of that stuff. And I go plug it in and play it. And like, I'm playing super lightly. I'm playing really quietly. I'm just so nervous. I don't even want, I mean, my playing. Sucked while I was playing it because I was so nervous. Like, <laughs> Don't put any fret wear on it. He's I'm, like, uh,
0: give me that back. <laughs>
1: <I know. laughs> and so I just I played it for probably one minute, legitimately one minute, and then I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm scared, and I knew that if I kept playing it, I would just fall in love with it. If it's like an unobtainable, you know, thing, and it would make me hate all of my, you know, gear that I have now. And I'm just like, okay, one minute's good enough.
0: So other than knowing that it was an earlier year than the one you had been playing that was just out on the wall, you could you could tell oh, a difference. You could hear a difference.
1: Dramatically.
0: <laughs> but what was different? Um,
1: okay, so the 66, um, the action on it was not very good. I'm sure they could have set it up better, but it also had... I mean, I, I have flatwounds on it now. The 66 had flatwounds, but they were really, really, really loose. And... It had way more fret wear to it, too. So it fret out when I played above the 12th fret. Um, Intonation was shot on it. And it it was also way heavier than the 63, like way heavier. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, a heavy one by any means, but it was still, it just did not fit as well. It's still a great instrument
0: for sure. Was the tone comparable just from the pickup and all that?
1: The tone was a little darker and a little less alive and the body was a little less
0: resonant. Gotcha. Okay, so so back to, the, you played the 63 for a minute, and you got nervous, you're like, okay, you better take this before I fall in love, and then... Yeah, and so I...
1: <laughs> oh, I just remembered another funny part. So I put it back in the case, and I'm just kind of standing looking at it in the case, with the case open, and this older lady walks by, and older as in like... 70s probably and she was there because she brought some old guitar that you know it's either like her husband's or or something to sell to norm yes yeah. so was looking at it and she walks by and she looks at the bass and she says wow it's beautiful is it yours and i said haha like i just laughed and said i no, <laughs> wish and earlier my friend's dad had walked by after i played it and he said what did you think of this one and Norm was there, too, and I just laughed and I said, this is the holy grail. And Norm was like, I know, it's it's probably the best base I've ever had. And I'm just laughing and, you know, they're all laughing. So then, I so anyways, I put it back in the case and I see Norm and Jeff, um, Jeff's my friend's dad, yeah. go outside to talk and I assume that they're talking about the Les Paul that Jeff is buying. Like they have to negotiate on that. So I thought nothing of it. I was just like, oh, they're talking about the Les Paul. Um, so I'm standing there just looking at the base of the case and this old lady walks by and says, Oh, so beautiful. It's yours. And I'm just laughing and said, no, I wish. And she's like, Oh, maybe someday, like something like that. <laughs> and so I just close the case and I just, you know, like leave it there and kind of stand by it because, you know, it didn't come from off the wall. It's been kind of like waiting for norms. You're it. guarding it. Yeah, I'm pretty much guarding <laughs> it because, you know, it's not. I don't think anyone else is supposed to play it. It came from that. Um, So then they come back in and Norm and my friend's dad walk up to me and I'm, I have no idea what they're talking about, but Norm basically says like, if you had a winning lottery ticket right now, would you buy that base? And I was just, I have no idea why, why he's saying this. I'm just like, yeah, this is the best bass I've ever played in my life. Like, of course I would, but I don't have money. So I feel like he's trying to sell me on it. I'm like, dude, I'm, you know, I don't have... So you're
0: like, stop rubbing it in, man. I can't afford it. I know. I was like, <laughs> it's just not
1: obvious. I'm here just to hang out. I don't have $12,000 right now.
0: So it was 12 grand.
1: Yeah, it was 11500 I think. And he kind of like rephrases the question. So he's like, so if you did have a lottery ticket, you would buy this, right? And I'm just like uh, yeah. They're like, okay. So they walk away and talk other stuff. And I see Jeff looking at the Les Paul special. So like, whatever. And I see him at the, at the register paying for
0: the Les Paul,
1: obviously that he was there to buy. And
0: with a suit, with a little briefcase of cash, right? (laughs) That would have been so much cooler. Uh,
1: it's kind of anticlimactic when you buy extensive gear and it's just like one credit card swipe, and then all right, <laughs> they should force you to pay the uh,
0: that's right
1: with cash. So, anyways, he is he has like a meeting or something that he has to go to. So this whole time he was like, like, oh, we can't be we can't spend too much time in norms because I have this thing in four. So I'm like, okay, cool. So he's up there paying and he's finishing up, and he looks at his watch and he's like okay we gotta go we gotta wrap this up and they're like okay okay so they speed out the checkout process and one of the guys who works at norms turns to me and says hey do you need a receipt for your base and
0: i was just like what what are you talking about yeah and he's just stop rubbing it in yeah i know and he's
1: shouting at me from across the store and he's pointing at the case and he's like do you need a receipt for your base and i just laughed and i'm like dude i'm not buying this thing like I don't <laughs> have the money for it. And he just kind of looks at me and he's really confused. Like he has no idea what's like, he's like, what? Like, (laughs) kind of like, but I thought you bought it. Like, and I'm just like, I have no idea. So it hasn't started to sink in yet. No, not to me. And and my friend's dad just kind of like turns to him really quickly and is just like, no, he doesn't need a receipt for it. I'm like, what is like, what is going on? And another dude who works in the store walks by and (laughs) no joke, he kind of like, like, Claps me on the back, pats me on the back, and says, congrats, man. I'm just like, in in my mind, this whole time, for so
0: Goosebumps again.
1: Yeah, there's been <laughs> goosebumps for me right now. In my mind, the whole time, there's been like a terrible misunderstanding, and they all think that I'm buying it. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. Like, no, 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 I'm not buying this. Like, I don't, it's like, congrats, man. Like, you got a great base and stuff. And I'm just like, dude, I'm not buying this. Like, I'm sorry, I don't have the money for this. And he kinda laughs because he must be in on it. And then my friend Zed looks at the watch and he just says, like, crap, it's time to go. And he looks at me and he points at the base and he just says, Hey, grab the base, time to go. I'm just like, what? And I just grab it and walk out, and I'm so confused. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? Like, I didn't buy this thing. I just, I was so confused, and it hadn't sunk into me that Jeff had bought the base for me. In my mind, still, I was thinking, there's been a terrible mistake. Like Somehow they put this in my name on credit or something. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So we walk out and you know Jeff puts the 57 Les Paul, which is also crazy that he just you know bought a 57 Les Paul like that. Puts that in the car, puts the bass on top of that, and just start driving off and I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm just kind of stunned and I have no idea what just happened. And I just said, Jeff, what just happened? And he just kind of laughs a little bit. and He says, you just got a new bass. And that was the moment where it finally hit like this whole time I had been so naive and so gullible I had no idea what was actually going on. When he said you got a new pace it was the moment where it just sunk in. Mind
0: I was, officially blown. Yeah. And I'm just <laughs> sitting
1: there in the backseat and
0: Wait, were you being chauffeured too? Yeah. You're in the back seat? Yeah,
1: I drove to their house. <laughs>
0: no, but were you in a limousine? You're both sitting in the back with cocktails in a hot tub or we're in a hot tub drinking. Oh.
1: And he says, You got a new bass. And it does a line of blow. Um, <laughs> yeah, very 1980s. It was pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, and so my friend is in the front seat, and he's the okay. whole time, he knew that this was happening. And the whole time, he's just laughing and just giggling because i had no idea what was going on Jeez. and kept saying dude i can't afford
0: this and at this point are you thinking okay he just means this is the bass that i'm going to play whenever i come over to jam no
1: no no no. he made it <laughs> kind of clear he was like this is your new bass like you have a new bass now and god. i was just like oh my god what did i do to deserve this and i just kind of kept saying like why did you do this like why did you like like you Uh, I was like, no, like, why did you do this? And he just said, and it's something powerful and it kind of stuck with me. Like, this is a guy who loves music so much, like so much, and gear and, you know, appreciates musical instruments and all that stuff and collects it and obviously works in music too. And he just said, he said, wouldn't the world be better with more music in it? And I was like, yeah. He said, we'll just keep playing music. And that was it. And that was his reason for doing it. it was just like, you appreciate music. The world is better with more music. And he said, everybody needs to have at least one really good instrument. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like I, I, I don't even know what I said to that. I was just like,
0: <laughs> I was kind of
1: speechless. And I just said, I, I, I think I said, I don't know what to say. And he was like, do you want to say anything? He's like, don't worry about it. Don't say anything.
0: It's fine. Jeez, man. You just you just won the insane gear find <laughs> story contest. <laughs> There's no prize. You don't get a goddamn prize, dude. You already got the prize. <laughs> uh, well, cool, man. Thank you so much for sharing the story. I uh, 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 Please stop there before you get to, like, he gave you a, a 69 SVT stack or something. <sighs> and
1: then he just bought me a 59 burst. He was like, hey, everybody needs to have one really good
0: you know, 1959 Les Paul. And here's a a vintage Thunderbird to drive it in. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right, Brennan, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Sean, I appreciate it. Thanks, man.
0: Thanks for joining us for Conversations in the Key of Life, the premier guitar podcast that talks to you about your musical journeys. Be sure to download more episodes where fellow guitarists and bassists share stories about meeting their guitar heroes, finding solace in music during times of crisis, and more. I'm Sean Hammond.